0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Dangerous World Podcast. Thanks for tuning back in. Interesting little topic here uh, for the day. It actually fits in a little bit with my Cosmism series. Kind of uh, stands on its own, too. It's obviously talking about psychedelics, the whole movement, how it ties into the CIA, um, also the hippie movement. And I got a lot of stuff to cover here. You know, I've been uh, mentioning Timothy Leary here and there. And um, I kind of wanted to do a deeper dive on what he's all about. So this will touch on that a decent amount. There's quite a few people involved with the psychedelic and hippie movements. Um, some prestigious, in heavy quotes, schools like Harvard and things like that. Um, some very influential people. Some people that tie into some big companies. Um, establishment money here is, is really backing this whole thing. And that was my... Curiosity with the whole thing is, you know, when you get cultures that are created um, and, and meant to be counterculture that pushes back against the establishment, but it's backed by establishment money, that is the definition of controlled opposition, right? A lot of people like to say Alex Jones is controlled opposition. A lot of people like to say Rogan is. And I don't disagree with that. But when you have movements of millions of Americans and really people around the world too, that are unknowingly participating in controlled opposition, that's like next-level five-dimensional chess shit. This is what QAnon wanted the White Hats to be doing during the whole, uh, you know, 2020 election and all that shit. So, again, a lot of stuff to go through here, and uh, I'm excited about it. And I'm going to wrap up the entire episode by reading a little bit about the creation of the hippie movement. Um, Pretty interesting stuff here. So... Um, if you don't want to hear about housekeeping, keeping stuff, just skip through a couple minutes. Uh, obviously you are hearing some ads and you're going to be hearing ads moving forward. If you're not on the Patreon, the ads are not on the Patreon. And I did that intentionally. I just wanted to, um, you know, set up a monetization stream with the show. As you know, this is my job. I say it all the time. Uh, so we're trying to focus on that here. If you don't like the ads, you know, just go over to patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast $3 $3 gets you the full versions of the episodes, no ads. I understand if you don't want to do that, if you can't do it, if you can't afford it, $3 is, is harder to come by than it should be these days. Um, if that's the case, you just got to deal with some ads. You can skip forward. I mean, it's crazy when people say, I hate ads. Man, you don't complain about ads when you're watching the Super Bowl and all this shit, so just relax. Not comparing my show to the Super Bowl, although my show is not rigged like the Super Bowl. Um, A lot of us were wrong on that, by the way, with the Bills definitely winning, right? I was thinking that the Bills, the um, Giants or the Cowboys or some combination there within would be getting to the Super Bowl because it's all American-themed. We still have a very American-themed team that is very live and favored to win the Super Bowl, actually, and I didn't even think about the Eagles, The national damn bird is sitting there still in this thing. I kind of feel like the goal of the um, establishment, the same people that set up this system, are attempting to unite the United States people somehow. Um, Why would they? Well, because you can't exactly start a war or a draft without... Without people that are patriotic, right? Half the damn country is not patriotic, and the patriotic people are embarrassed of how the government's acting right now. So there needs to be something, I think. Uh, That's a different episode for a different day. But I was thinking we'd be seeing a lot of red, white, and blue and all that shit. We'll probably be seeing a lot of green, but I have a feeling that we will be seeing uh, eagles quite a bit. So it's always kind of um, an interesting thing. Russia is also represented by the Eagle and so is Germany and all kinds of other places. Right? So interesting stuff. Uh, I kind of hope the Bengals win again, but again, a different episode for a different day had to tell you about my little ad thing. It is going to be continuing for the foreseeable future. And you're going to see this go on with more and more shows. So um, the easiest way, if you want to ignore the ads, Patreon. Everybody out here has a Patreon. And the low level is usually very cheap. So uh, support the creators that you enjoy. Not just me, but, you know, anybody that you enjoy. Um, Also, Dangerous World Podcast, the store, is available. However, the link is having some issues. The, um, you know, mechanisms of the store itself are perfect. Everything runs real smooth. But the way to get to the store is kind of hidden right now we're working on fixing that uh, I've just got to you know deal with the company that's hosting the site in order for that to work out properly but if you go to my Instagram dangerous world pod on Instagram I've got it on my Linktree. you can also just find Linktree if you type in Linktree dangerous world podcast and then it pops up right there it's a pain in the ass um, I enjoy the way that they run that site right now um It'd just be cool to get my own domain set up, so we're working on that. But if you choose to support the show that way, it means a ton too. Um, the the prices of the shirts have climbed two bucks, and that's because I don't get I'm not printing them myself, so they're keeping a majority of that money. Get like seven bucks a shirt, eight bucks a shirt, something like that. So um, one function that they offer there that's pretty cool is they offer like a tip jar type thing. After you cash out, a couple people have taken advantage of that. And I appreciate it so much. Uh, Dominique being one of them. I know you're listening. Thanks a lot for that, Dominique. She, she placed a big order and I appreciate that a lot. So um, there's a couple of you out there that have trafficked the store, made some purchases and I haven't heard any complaints yet. i like to be, um, you know, honest about that. And if there is anything that goes wrong with these things, I will replace them for free. As long as it's not a year down the road or six months down the road or something, Because shirts do wear out eventually, but these should last quite a while, the quality stuff. So thank you to everyone supporting the show. Let's just get into it, because again, there's a lot of stuff here, and I don't want to talk your ear off. told you to skip ahead a couple minutes if you didn't want to hear that shit, so you're locked in now, right? I hope. Um, I want to start this off with a quote from Timothy Leary. Um, Obviously, Timothy Leary, for those that don't know, very famous for the Concord, uh, or maybe infamous for the Concord Prison Experiments, Considered the godfather or the grandfather or whatever of the hippie movement, the psychedelics movement, even though he didn't discover LSD and its effects. Very, very influential and kind of like integrating it into society, high levels of society, really. Actors, musicians, uh, members of the elite. Okay, But a quote from him here, he says, At the top level, everyone seemed to know everyone. I was interested in how these power networks worked especially when they involved psychology and the government. It's interesting. It's something that should be paid attention to. Why is everyone in cahoots at the top level when it comes to psychedelics and how it involves psychology and the government? It's scary stuff. Right away, it kind of leaves you with the vibe that, you know, maybe maybe these things are tools for the government more so uh, than tools for awakening. Like a lot of these people today, push, Right. Um, and let's look at the word psychedelic. I mean, this is incredibly interesting because it was named by someone that I will mention later, actually a British English speaking person. And we know a little bit about word magic and, and how strange, uh, certain words really are. When you look at the etymology or like you look at just the, the basics of the word, what does it mean? It means something usually very different from what you think it means. Like good morning's a good example, uh, child, baby, all these things. They're weird words for what they represent. When you think of a baby, like that's my baby, uh, you don't think of something kind of referencing an old, um, I don't know if you want to call it demonic society in Babylon, right? Um, strange stuff. I know people have been complaining about everyone calling things demonic and satanic. Babylon, is—is is, it's accurate to say that, right? Obviously, they they fell a long way from where they were supposed to be, but the word psychedelic, Made up of two words, psych and delic, right? Or delic really stemming from delos. But um, psych means mind, right? Psychiatry, psychology, psychedelic, mind in psych. And then delic derived from the word, the Greek word delos, which means manifest. So you get mind manifesting or manifestation of the mind. And this term came out in 1957. So think about that manifesting of the mind or mind manifesting as we're going through this. And and I'll kind of wrap it up, um, you know, kind of referencing that again, because I have a theory as to what role psychedelics play on behalf of the government. So um, obviously people have been using these substances forever, right? Psychedelics have been used forever, but Again, an English-speaking person came up with this term, and why did they choose that combination of words? Why not mind-opening, or something to do with God, or whatever, you know, why, why use this combo of mind and manifest? It's interesting. This this guy that came up with this, his name is Humphrey Osmond, again, an English speaker from England, uh, from uh, Britain, right? So... And then you'll you'll come to see here, too, that a lot of this stuff is funded by the Ford and Rockefeller Foundations. Always a skeptical thing. These people are very liberal, elite, Soros types, kind of like the OG Soros types. Soros learns a lot from the Rockefeller Foundation. I actually think that Soros is kind of an extension of the Rockefeller and Ford Foundations. So, interesting stuff. But if we're going to talk about LSD, we're going to talk about psychedelics, you have to start back in 1943 at Sandoz Pharmaceuticals, right? This guy Albert Hoffman in 1943 accidentally discovers the powerful psychedelic effects of LSD after accidentally absorbing it through his skin, okay? Now, Hoffman isolated the substance from a natural compound called, known as LSA, right? Not LSD, but LSA, which is structurally similar to LSD. Um, it just seems like it's not quite as strong from what I understand. I'm by no means a psychedelic expert. I love taking mushrooms, but that's about it. I'm going to be fully transparent here. I've never taken acid. Um, I don't know if I would. I, you know, especially after seeing this, I'm not against it. I know it actually helps some people. Um, I really enjoy taking mushrooms. I think that taking those things very conservatively, not taking them every day, microdosing every day or anything, but taking them, you know, once a month, something like that. Um, it can, it can do things for you. It can make you a better person. It can also fuck with you. Um, I don't know if it can really fry your brain, like some people say. Um, but, you. I mean, too much of a good thing is obviously a very real fear for a lot of people with this stuff. So, anyway, getting back to the LSA here. Um, LSA is found in Hawaiian baby rose seeds and morning glory seeds. But I guess he was working with ergot. There's some mixed information there um ergot obviously coming from rye um kind of alleged to be the thing behind the uh the witch epidemic in like the 1600s or whenever that was the the witch trials right i'm bad i should know exactly when that was but yeah like the rotten ergot will make you hallucinate and it can actually kill you too but um kind of think of it as like uh you know poisonous mushrooms not magic mushrooms but bad mushrooms there's a fine line there with ergot now um after the accidental dosing of himself He wanted to intentionally dose himself with um, what he thought would do the trick, which what he thought would do the trick. Again, he's experimenting. He's a pioneer here, the first person to intentionally take LSD. He thinks 250 micrograms is a good initial test, which quickly found out this is way, way too much. I guess 20 micrograms should be what you take for like a basic dose. I guess 20 micrograms will get you feeling pretty good. Get you seeing things and all that good stuff that you want from the psychedelics. So he took, you know, over 10 times the amount that he should have. And, uh, obviously the dude got fucked up. He had to call in sick to work. And then he went on what's described as an epic bike ride. And the anniversary today is observed with LSD enthusiasts as Bicycle Day. This is April 19th. And it's interesting. Actually, the United Nations sees April 19th as World Bicycle Day, too. So it's kind of a wink to that. Um, Interesting when you have the United Nations supporting and putting on blast the work uh, kind of in a covert way. I think National uh, Bike Day, they say that it's meant, and this is actually a quote, National Bike Day, April 19th, is meant to honor the uniqueness, longevity, and versatility of the bicycle. That's what they tell you, but really what April 19th is meant to do is honor um, Hoffman's Epic bike ride, right? I mean, and what an epic bike ride it must have been! I mean, Jesus. So psychedelics and hippie people will honor the nineteenth as the the bi- bicycle day from Hoffman. The UN again sees it very differently, uh, at least on the surface. But you know what they're doing here they're 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 promoting and they're honoring Hoffman's bike ride um, because psychedelics again they've been a, a very very important tool in things like MK Ultra. And I think to pacify the public is really the true uh, meaning and the true use and the pushing of psychedelics. You're going to start seeing this in years to come become a lot more prevalent. You're going to see shrooms be legalized. Excuse me. You're going to see shrooms be legalized. Uh, Ketamine is being used as well in clinics. There's medical purposes for all these things, but obviously people abuse these things. Um, I myself with marijuana... I'm not, I don't sit there and abuse it. I don't smoke constantly, but, like, I have no real reason to smoke it or ingest it. But I do. I enjoy it, just like alcohol, right? There's no real medicinal effects of alcohol, actually pretty bad for you. But people abuse these things, right? So that's going to be the case with these as well. And they know that. They know people, um, you know, take advantage of anything that's legal in the country, right? So let's get back to this here. Um In the 50s, LSD was used on psychiatric patients and was said to help them reconcile with their past traumas sort of by causing them to relive them and then also be able to describe the past traumas to their doctors. A lot of times when people have something wrong with them, it's tough for them to articulate what's going on, uh, not only in in children, but if you have a psychiatric patient, their mental state is a little fucked, so they're not able to really um, articulate what's going on here. So, again... In this instance, it would for sure help. But then you get people that look at the Concord prison experiment in a really fucked up way. I read that like people will tell you that, that that it worked. It made these people so much better. The These prisoners in a maximum security prison were were able to integrate back into society. Only a third of them were. I mean, it said 64%, so just under two-thirds of these patients that were tested. I think there was 32 of them. of them went back to prison in six months. So I I wouldn't say that that worked, right? Um, People interpret these things kind of, they see what they want to see out of them, right? So that experiment that I'm mentioning there um, in the 50s where the substance is used to to try to help people, the first time that this was done was in a St. Louis State Hospital-based psychiatrist uh, office, I guess, right? Um, This guy, Anthony K. Bush and Warren C. Johnson. And they wanted to supposedly induce a transitory delirious state among their patients. And they reported that LSD had some benefits to, uh, you know, mental patients. And and that was it, right? They didn't really get too too deep into it. But I don't know if you caught the name there, the Anthony K. Bush, right? Spelled B-U-S-C-H. This guy, again, out of St. Louis, Missouri, too. Something interesting there, right? I, if you're a beer drinker, you know where I'm going with this. Anthony K. Bush is related to the Anheuser-Busch Beer Company founder, Adolphus Bush. I believe he's actually the nephew. Um, so it's not like, you know, a second cousin 20 times removed, you know, married into the family or whatever. The guy is actually related to the beer magnet, right? And so that's kind of interesting when you have big business always tying into this and and it's not that loose of a connection again it's just a generation uh away and and yeah you know uncle instead of um father or something but incredibly interesting here that anheuser Busch family basically served as establishment kings of st louis i mean they were an iconic still today they're iconic they're very influential if they want something done they can make it happen again they served as establishment kings Throughout the 20th century, and I think that they even continue today to be pretty influential. I know a lot of, uh, you know, microbreweries and stuff are popping up. But they are, Anheuser-Busch owns a lot of these microbreweries, right? Because, I mean, who wants to go out and drink Bud Light or Budweiser, Bud Heavies as they're called? People like drinking this new shit. And Anheuser-Busch knows this, right? So they're buying up all that stuff too. So they're still very, very powerful today. Usually when you go to like a sporting event or something, you'll see a lot of uh, Anheuser-Busch products there rather than like some small shit. Um, and another thing about the Anheuser-Busch family is they've been very close to the Rockefeller family since their inception, since the the Bush family's inception and the beer, um, you know, moving and all this stuff. They joined the 1001 Club, which I've done an episode on. Um, they're, they're pretty prevalent in that. 1001 Club, very elite um, gets the one thousand and one name from the amount of members, so it's not like everyone is you know that's wealthy is joining this thing. Um, obviously, you I mentioned the close Rockefeller ties, the Rothschild ties, they're all in the one thousand and one club as well, and they were tied pretty closely to the Nixon administration later through a guy known as Mister Fixit. He was a business advisor to the Nixon administration, real name Peter Flanagan. Um, but again, you have a just as a start here, you've got a family connected to big business through beer production, and the biggest beer producer at that, okay? You have them connected to politics through the executive level, right? At the at inside of a damn presidential administration. And then, of course, this new medicine being formed, and what will later become known as a medicine, a spiritual medication known as LSD. It's very interesting, and again, you have to pay attention anytime you have government, and big business involved in any way with counterculture. It's meant to look like counterculture when in fact it's not at all. It's, it's, a, it's a contrived side of culture. So next we got to move into this Dr. Humphrey Osmond. Um, this is the guy that I mentioned up there, right? Uh, when, with the naming of the term and all this stuff. He's a British psychiatrist who moved to Canada in the early 50s to research the different psychedelics. And he was actually particularly fascinated with mescaline uh, being derived from the peyote plant, which since the B.C. times has been a key plant to all kinds of people, namely the Native Americans, um, native groups, really, for ritual purposes. So this is the substance that that Aleister Crowley used. Right. Right. when he was doing his occult rituals and all of his weird shit he he preferred mescaline it seems like and it's safe to assume that Osmond who was actually a friend of Aldous Huxley um and a fellow Brit like Crowley brought mescaline to the western culture i i think that we can definitely say that um although i guess you can consider britain part of the west but anyway i i think that the 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 way that You know, the CIA uses mescaline in their projects and stuff. I think that a lot of this can be credited to Dr. Humphrey Osmond. Again, high rolling friends. Aldous Huxley, as elite as it gets, really, especially during that time. High roller. Um, Crowley, (laughs) potentially Barbara Bush's mother. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of interesting stuff. Is it Barbara Bush? Is she the the one that everyone says is Crowley's daughter? I think it is, man. Because, yeah, they look pretty damn similar. Um, George H.W. Bush's wife will say okay And you also have to know that Aldous Huxley maintained close ties with all these British elite like the guys that I was mentioning while he was a uh, thought leader in the United States with a connection to the government again through his brother Julian Huxley. Um, Aldous being the writer, the the pop culture voice, the cultural leader and then Julian being the government official. Um, Julian stayed in England longer than Aldous. And um, yeah, just another one of those kind of teams where it's it's you know a family kind of infiltrating two sectors of society, very key sectors of society too, um, and leading thought, right? And you've heard my pilgrim episode before, hopefully. These brothers played a key role in the partnership and the intel sharing of the United States and their old slave masters or their old suppressors, England, right? So. The Pilgrim Society plays a role in all this stuff too and you'll uh, if you know about them It's pretty obvious right when you see there's the five eyes nations really the big ones. There are uh, The United States and and Britain But uh, you've got New Zealand Australia and Canada all sharing Intel uh, This is based off of the Pilgrim Society created back in I believe 1902 uh, If I'm not mistaken, uh, I should be able to remember all this stuff. You, you guys know I can't remember anything from one week to the next so um, you'll, you'll see this pop up more and more, these connections, these families just work in multiple industries and sectors. So anyway, you have uh, Osmond giving Aldous Huxley a dose of uh, LSD, I'm assuming. It just said uh, he was given a dose. Um, it could either be LSD or mescaline, but we're talking about LSD here, so I'm, I'm thinking that this is LSD. And then when he writes this book in 1954 on this chemical, Um, it inspires Jim Morrison. The book is called The Doors of Perception. Um, Kind of interesting because you do, I'm sure, know about the connection with Jim Morrison and his father, um, the captain of the, uh, was it the Gulf of Tonkin incident, right? That boat that got us into um, the Vietnam War. So, you know, Jim Morrison supposedly gets his name, The Doors, uh, from The Doors of Perception book, written by Aldous Huxley, interesting stuff. For sure, a strange connection there. And with Osmond's work, he seemed to have landed on the conclusion that L- LSD especially benefits alcoholics, which he reported a 50% cure rate after giving a 1,000 patients large doses. Um, mescaline, though, he did not see any medical benefits of. So it makes you wonder, maybe mescaline has you know better effects than lsd right especially looking at the establishment pushing a certain thing maybe lsd is cheaper to synthesize than mescaline or there's got to be some reason because these things have similar properties to them right um but let's move to this uh dr oscar yaniger i think his name is you got to be careful saying that name but it's j-a-n-i-g-e-r Yanniger, uh, I'm going with Oscar Yanniger, a psychiatrist at the University of California who provided a lot of celebrities of that day with this new drug because uh, as we know if you want to make something cool you've got to give it to celebrities to endorse it and make them see why you, it's worth taking why it's worth pushing and today it's influencers, it's not so much celebrities people are getting tired of celebrity shit they're getting a little preachy um, so you have influencers like Rogan who very heavily endorse psychedelics, right? Um, I'm always suspicious of that, and, and I think it's, um, it's smart to be suspicious of these things. Now, um, this circle of people uh, led by Yanniger, Huxley, and Osmond served as an experiment group of LSD pioneers, and they were supplied by an OSS veteran named Al Hubbard. Not sure if there's a relation to L. Ron Hubbard, but it's an interesting name, right? I mean, when you get a Hubbard involved... Um, That's something to pay attention to. Again, I don't know if there is a relation to L. Ron Hubbard, the Scientology founder and friend of um, Crowley and Parsons, right? There's a connection there with Hubbard and Parsons. Um, I guess that connection is even kind of disputed. People say that Crowley did not know L. Ron Hubbard, but isn't there pictures of him out there and shit? Like, I don't know. It seems like they were in cahoots of some kind. Again, I can't be clear enough don't know if al hubbard is related to Elron. i did see some things that um that they were i think that was nephew again uh nephew to uncle uh but uh, i mean that's not something that i'm willing to really say 100 percent um especially you got to come correct with scientology stuff for sure so uh don't don't put too much stock into the al hubbard guy but again an OSS dude named Hubbard, uh, sure merits a little bit of looking into, right? Now there's a little known, uh, little known information about Hubbard. Um, he was a rum runner, I guess, from 1920 to 1923. These are prohibition years, obviously. Um, by World War II, he was running arms, so he he put down the booze, picked up the guns, uh, running them to uh, Canada, I guess, on behalf of FDR. And then they would move the supplies from Canada to England. So uh, pretty interesting high-level dude there. England, obviously, balls deep in Nazi shit right there, having to deal with all that. Um, And then after World War II, he gets a presidential pardon from his smuggling operations, and then Hubbard manages to become uh, the president of the Vancouver Uranium Corporation, making him a multimillionaire, very establishment guy. From the beginning, he's an establishment guy, but then he gets a cushy job leading a uranium company, um, able to build all kind of um unspecified high level connections. I was reading. So interesting who he may know, who he may be connected to. Again, Scientology, I don't know. But um just another high roller that's involved with the moving of LSD and backing LSD. Again, he's supplying the Yanniger Huxley Osmond Circle. Okay. Um OSS dude. Very interesting. So you've got early, early ties to what becomes the CIA now uh, in acid dreams. Right. The it's an it's supposedly like next to the Bible of uh, of the hippie movement and stuff, which I'll get into later, probably in the Patreon portion. But uh, in acid dreams, his connections are described as, quote, Prestigious government and business connections, which read like a who's who of the power elite in North America. So, clearly very, very connected. Apparently his connections of the 1950s and 60s included the Joint Chiefs and the Pope. So anyone that's connected to the Pope is very much someone to be wary of, and you'd be safe to assume that they are establishment, again all deep establishment people behind the early days of LSD. Now, acid dreams is a social history type book on LSD written by Martin a Lee. So if anyone wants to check that out, I have not to be hundred percent honest, but um, it seems pretty damn interesting. And I think it makes a lot of these connections. If you have the time to read through a book like this, I think it might make a lot of connections here. If you read it with, you know, kind of a critical mind. Now, uh, getting back to Osmond here a little bit, and Hubbard, I mean, we're sticking with Hubbard really too, but Osmond and Hubbard actually developed the idea to dose world leaders with LSD. This was that idea that so many, in my opinion, really stupid people back today, um, I, I don't know. If they had limited success, which they say they did, uh, I guess they they dosed a prime minister and some assistants uh, and some heads of state of the... Uh, British Parliament, some UN representatives, and so on. If they had limited success dosing politicians with LSD, and we're in a world like this today, I'd say take the LSD away from the politicians because man, shit has devolved big time, right? Um, it makes me think that LSD, when taken in massive groups, would actually help to create a hive mind situation. And this is why I think it ties in with cosmism. Um, some kind of world brain may be created if everyone is on the same chemicals, right? I mean, obviously we get these things through our food and things like this, but heavy psychedelics like this, I think, taken in large groups, are bad. So I don't know. Maybe taking things individually, going out, tripping out in the woods or whatever, is a different story. But yeah, if they've if they had some limited success, and we're already this far fucking away from like, especially in the United States, what the Constitution says and what all these other things kind of uh, you know like the the true north of like morals and laws in the United States. We've gone far away from these. I'm not saying per se that LSD has anything to do with it, but just going off what they're saying with limited success, um, take the LSD away from the politicians. I don't think that they need that. There's a few people that say that, um, you know, people should have taken several ayahuasca trips, right? Um, Before they want to be president. I say, no, I say definitely not. This is utopian bullshit. Um, there's not one substance on the planet that works for everybody, and it's not going to be something like LSD that is pushed by the fucking CIA. So get the fuck out of here with that shit. Um, just keep pushing these fake philosophies and deceiving people. Don't give it to all the damn people in the world. It's, it's crazy. Uh, MKUltra used to try and do this too. About right, they would um, flood uh, subways with the chemical just to try and dose cities and shit. It's like, dude, no, this this isn't, clearly it's not a good idea. Um, There's this article released in 1957 pushing the curiosity of magic mushrooms, and this is really where uh, we start to get deep into this stuff. Um, normally, being curious about these kinds of things is healthy. When, when you're curious about a new substance or some kind of drug, it's good to be curious and to ask questions. But again, when it's coming from the CIA, when it's coming from a mouthpiece of the CIA like Time fucking magazine, it again should raise some suspicion. Because the publishing magazine always has total editorial control. They have control over what message gets out. You have to ask yourself, anytime you read stuff like this, who benefits from me knowing this information that is in this piece? Or who benefits from me asking these questions that the piece may uh, invoke in, in in the reader, right? Who benefits from you having the knowledge? Who benefits from you asking the questions? in the case of time magazine the establishment always benefits from the readers learning certain things or asking certain questions posed by that magazine again it's a, it's one of the most influential pilgrim society mouthpieces therefore you know old cia oss mouthpieces now knowing how slowly and gradually the deep state works to further their agenda i think that this among other things during the time was to plant a seed of curiosity into the public's mind when it comes to psychedelics and eventually taking them, right? Maybe not them themselves who are the first ones to really be introduced to this information, first ones becoming interested in the health benefits and all these things. Um, It might be their kids or their kids' kids or a generation after that. Again, these people work slow. And um, when it's in the mind's eye of the public, it's a gradual process from there. You introduce it, you criticize it a bit from one side. And then the other side, which is controlled opposition keeps promoting it and keeps, um, you know, evolving their method of getting this out to the public and, and introducing it in different ways. This is when, uh, again, towards the end of the episode, I'll read about the birth of the hippie movement. Um, and it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting how it all ties together. So, um, I think psychedelic the psychedelics push here is to help encourage people to be more understanding um, of not really each other, but really their oppressors. I think that it's to kind of pacify people. Understanding one another as an everyday, you know, middle class person is kind of an unwanted byproduct of taking these substances. But if it pacifies people, if it makes them more suggestible, as MK Ultra proved to us, then it open and it opens people's minds, right? So maybe let's say eating bugs or maybe it opens people's minds to, um, uh, you know, put guns down. Because, you know, with the the eating bugs thing and opening minds uh, to that idea, if you're taking a a, a psychedelic drug that connects you with nature and all this shit, right, and spirituality, you would want to eat bugs rather than a more healthy protein source, right? Like the way that animals are treated. uh, You may not really like that. That's why so many hippies are vegans and shit. Because they don't want to harm animals, and I don't want to harm animals either. But there's a responsible way to source food. We don't do it in this country here with beef, especially. Um, I think that it, I think that that is a is a possible fallout of this, of of everyone taking LSD, everyone being under the influence of something like this. Yes, it makes you it may make you a better person, a kinder person. But every once in a while society needs assholes to like do the shit that the that the cowards and the nice people are too afraid to do. So if everyone's on fucking LSD, if everyone's taking this stuff, if it's normalized to a point, and it doesn't even need to be everyone. I'm saying that to kind of, you know, really get the point across, if half the fucking population became useless because they were just taking these things constantly, I mean, it's so much easier for people to get controlled. And then the state can even weaponize these losers that are just fucking fried out to, you know, report on their neighbors and all this other shit. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a dangerous system. That would also work with um, firearms, right? If, um, if some, some weirdo that's sitting out in nature shroomed out or, uh, you know, taking too much LSD is sitting there and they're like, man, if there was no guns, people wouldn't kill people. And then they start fighting for the removal of guns, right? Um, again, overly simplified, but I think that this is kind of what they're getting at. And this is why this kind of thing was pushed. The hippie movement was all about loving your neighbor and shit, right? And I'm, I am I believe in that. I think that people should love their neighbor, but what if your neighbor's a fucking asshole, right? Uh, they don't deserve uh, too much love at that point. So again... Looking at this stuff, um, I'm, I'm doing it real black and white here, but it's to try to paint the picture as accurately as I can, um, or as clearly as I can, I should say. All the while that people are kind of being pacified and uh, taught that to- toxic masculinity is a bad thing and women can be men and men can be women and all this shit, all this stuff is going on while the agenda of the establishment just creeps closer and closer and closer. It's a scary thing, but let's get back to time a little bit because that's kind of where we uh, devolved this conversation. Talking about time uh, and, and this article about shrooms, the first mainstream article about shrooms coming out in a pilgrim CIA mouthpiece like time, the founder Henry Luce and his wife Claire Booth Luce were avid supporters of the psychedelic movement. Um, They really, really were fans of especially Shrooms, but also LSD. And um, they're just about as establishment as it gets. Luce was a Pilgrim Society member, and Booth Luce, his wife, was a Dame of Malta. Okay, I'm sure you've heard of the Knights of Malta. The Dames of Malta is a counterpart, Um, both of them make up the military order of Malta and the dames of Malta actually seem to be a very, very small group, even by secret society terms. I mean, you can go on Wikipedia. There's like 25 names listed there. Booth Loose is one of them. Um, I did double check that. I always like to. So, um, and then the author of that mushroom article, Mr. Gordon Wasson, was a fucking JP Morgan banker and a CFR member, Council on Foreign Relations, right? Does that seem like a hippie to you? Does that guy that's a fucking banker sitting there talking about how bad the establishment is, doesn't that kind of ring like controlled opposition? I mean, it should, especially a CFR member. These aren't people that have your best interest in mind when they're pushing this stuff. And one group that I had heard of, uh, that that I hadn't heard of, excuse me, That he was also a part of was uh, along with the the Dulles Brothers and then Kissinger and the Rockefellers and stuff was the Century Association. Um, Actually, one of the older NGOs dating back to 1847. So this is an old group, the Century Association. I need to look into them more. But uh, anytime you got Rockefellers involved, anytime you got Kissinger and the Dulles Brothers, I mean, come on. How is Kissinger still alive, right? I don't wish death on anybody, but man, this guy's like 100 fucking years old. Um, All these other people that we mention here are dead other than Kissinger, really, right? Um, As far as like the Dulles brothers go and these elite of that time, the guy is just, I mean, he he doesn't age. He looks like shit, but geez, I think anyone would at 100 and fucking 30 years old or whatever he is. Uh, I think he's really like 100, 90 something, 99 maybe, who knows, but... um, Watson, the, the writer of that article, was also financed in 1957, before that article, um, to see a shaman in Mexico. And the shaman in Mexico plays a big role in this. And I wish that I could find this shaman's name or whatever. I, the closest I could get was finding the, the city that the, that the shaman is in. But in 57, Watson goes to see a shaman in Mexico under CIA's MKUltra program, Project 58 sub subproject 58 rather and if you want to look up this guy's name again Gordon Wasson it says even on his wikipedia page that he was affiliated with subproject 58 so this is provable stuff this isn't really up for dispute at all if you have someone going and seeing a shaman in mexico directed by the cia to then go back after you take this stuff that the shaman gives you and write a time article. I think it was a month before he wrote the time article in 1957. Again, more proof that this is establishment pushed shit. This isn't an organic movement whatsoever. Um But yeah, the first major magazine published an article on Shrooms, obviously drew a lot of attention and opened up the door for, you know, several several hucksters and establishment assets to come out with their own work. On the subject here, and you have this this individual here, Andrija uh, rich and I'm probably butchering the name. Um, I'll I'll do my very best to put all these people's names in the episode description, just so you can look up anyone that's interesting to you. Um, but this this individual here was being a, a big one, which is uh, he's an interesting person here. The guy claimed to have helped many people connect with other worldly entities, including DJ Vinod and Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller being a big one here, too. Uh, I'll talk about him in just a second. Um, They would be channeling entities of some sort, right? They'd be using the drugs, using the chemicals, and channeling entities. Um, The most famous seems to be Yuri Geller, for sure. Kind of widely considered a fraud, um, by a lot of people, but you never know. I mean, this stuff is always really fascinating to me because I think that there are some people who can actually communicate with entities, um, but a government shill doing this should always be suspicious, and and this is what he is. Um, so that Andresia guy um, was actually the mentor of that Yuri Geller that I just mentioned. Um, went to see the same shaman as Gasson, Okay. Um, He saw him actually in 1960, so a couple years later. And this was an expedition, again, financed by the U.S. Army Chemical Corps at Edgewood Arsenal in the University of Washington, okay? Now, this is, and also the Aluminum Company of America. I always take note when something coming out of not only the Army Chemical Corps, but anything coming out of academia in Washington State, I like to look into that because I think that they're also very very influential in the MK Ultra stuff because of the 90s grunge scene, right? Kurt Cobain, you know, Nirvana, all that all that music coming out of there which had a very depressing feel. It kind of targeted uh 90s middle class white kids just like the hippie movement targeted uh you know, 60s middle-aged uh middle class, sorry, um white kids, right? It it makes people that would ordinarily just fit right into the system, you know, in a more positive way, I'm not saying that you know fitting into the system is always good but people that feel included tend to have a little more pride in where they come from and what country they live in and all this stuff when you take a group that is part of a majority and you split them up, again like the 60's movement of the hippies and the psychedelics and then again with different drugs, heroin and other shit in the 90's you're just making people that are already included feel excluded and feel disenfranchised. And then they get real fucking annoying and then they start, you know, then they get older and they get into politics and here we are in 2023 with a bunch of fucking idiots running this country Um, and a whole new generation of idiots coming in. So they know what they're doing here and, and it, it gets repeated. I'm interested to see what the next movement will be. It's kind of interesting how you see hip hop. Uh, I was riding around with my sister and, um, my dad and my sister's boyfriend the other day for her birthday and you know, little white girl and a nice little Mexican kid and uh boy, I should say a little white girl, little Mexican boy never. I don't even think either one of them has been in a fist fight. I, I know my sister hasn't, but I don't think that, that uh you know, her boyfriend has either. And they're listening to Kendrick Lamar talking about killing and you know, all kinds of wild shit, gang shit. And it's like, man, you guys are so far away from this lifestyle. But I used to do the same thing. I used to like that same type of music. It's fun to listen to, and it's interesting what you'll see come from that generation. Um, it seems to be weed and hip hop for middle-aged white kids now. When it was in my generation, heroin, which a lot of kids at my school did heroin, heroin and grunge music. Uh, hip hop was just kind of becoming a big deal when I was coming up in like you know the early 2000s, and then again the 60s. We know the the story there. So. They do this over and over again. They mix different types of drugs and different music to target a specific group of people. Ironically, it's the biggest group of people. It's middle class white folks, uh, especially kids that are targeted. So I I just find that incredibly interesting here. And I want to mention before we kind of move a little more into the mushroom side of this. I want to mention that there is definitely two sides to this whole psychedelics pushing um, there's a CIA side. That, there's a side that looked into the offensive and defensive use of psychedelics in interrogation and brainwashing. And then there's another side that just has personal interest. Sometimes the two sides conflict. Sometimes they fit right in. Um, obviously, the Dulles brothers and the CIA were very, very much on the side of using psychedelics as a tool. But they used people like Timothy Leary and these other folks that I mentioned, the scientists, to progress the work. Obviously, everyone doesn't know uh, there's not one person in this world that knows how to do everything they had to type They had to um, tap rather excuse me tap into uh, some scientists that were able to break these chemicals down synthesize them and you know Then you tap into some other people that can popularize it and and you've got a movement on your hands. So um, now getting into the mushrooms here a little bit there was a UCLA-educated psychologist and critical uh, piece to the founding of the Esalen Institute known as uh, Frank Barron, okay? Now, this guy got his start with shrooms in Mexico, again, in 1958. But it's unclear if Barron went to see the same shaman that, uh, you know, he. but he did come back with his big-ass bag of shrooms, I guess. Now... My first question, obviously, is always going to be how the hell did he get this massive bag of shrooms back? They said it was huge. I don't know how how big it was. Um, but, yeah, this is in 1958. Moving shrooms from Mexico to the U.S. I know customs is a little different back then and whatnot, but seems like you wouldn't just be able to walk through an airport with a giant bag of shrooms. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, especially if you have a uh, little bit of a Eslin Institute ties, meaning you have CIA ties. Maybe you're able to just walk right through. I don't know. I'm not a CIA asset. Or am I? I don't know. Some people think I am, which is funny. Um, but yeah, so Barron uh, went to work for the Institute for Personality Assessment and Research, or IPAR, at UCLA Berkeley, which Timothy Leary claimed was a think tank. Funded and staffed by former OSS and CIA psychologists. That's always interesting. And by the way, Barron and Leary were old drinking buddies because, you know, if you know about uh, Leary much, he went to Berkeley as well. So uh, it is kind of interesting these two know each other back then. And it looks like Barron actually got Leary his job at Harvard, where a lot of Leary's CIA ties become really apparent. And it's kind of interesting that Barron pointed him in the direction of getting the job at Harvard, and then later, Leary turns around and gets Barron a job in that same department. Uh, Barron didn't know the individual, supposedly. I kind of have my hunch that he did. Uh, Didn't know the individual that got Leary his job, and I'll talk about him here in just a a second. Um, But he knew that he was on, um, just happened to be in the same location that Leary was when he was taking a sabbatical, After some family tragedies and shit, but it seems like there could have been a few CIA bigwigs kind of looking at Leary before he got involved with this and figured his work would benefit the state and they tapped into him. Um, But at a certain point, Leary becomes guilty uh, of intentionally helping the state. I don't know exactly when. But the guy's not an idiot. You know, he he ends up doing a lot of good for the establishment, pretending that he's going against the establishment. And as I learn more and more about this, it's hard to know what Leary's motives were. It is clear to me, though, um, that his work perpetuated the normalization of psychedelics with deep state money behind him. So it, it, he's not a good guy, in my opinion. Um, obviously did some, some influential work, but I think that it's a bad influence and it's a net negative. So... Um, he Leary has CIA ties from birth too. Um, this never looks good. I, I saw here that he had ties to General Douglas MacArthur, uh, General George Patton, UCLA as a whole, um, which is influential big time when it comes to psychedelics and um, MK ultra brainwashing type stuff. Uh, Frank Barron, obviously the Kaiser Hospital. Mary, uh, the Mellon family, I don't know what Mary is, uh, that might have been a typo there, excuse me, but the Mellon family, the Hudson Institute, and I mean, there's just so many more that were listed there. This isn't like some music-obsessed roadie that happened to strike gold, uh, this is a CIA-connected dude, and and that's hopefully very, very clear to you at this point. Um, so there's this interesting little chapter in Leary's life where, um, you know, after his first wife, Marianne Bush, again spelled like the Anheuser busch name up there, not a hundred percent sure that they're connected, but I have my hunches. Uh, the same same spelling as the St. Louis beer people. Hell of a coincidence. Again, one of the people really behind the the discovery and the the experiments first used with LSD. Uh, someone with that same last name marries the Godfather and the uh, you know one of the most iconic. Names behind the LSD movement. Does that sound like it's not a script or not something that was intentional? I don't know. Uh, that's up to you to decide there. But you know, he takes a sabbatical uh, after you know his uh, his wife ends up killing herself. Right again, strange when someone is so good and so positive and so focused on helping humanity. It's weird when their wife or someone close to them kills themselves, and he's she's not the only one. Uh, his daughter also killed her boyfriend and then I believe killed herself later. Um, weird, right? Uh, if you're that good, you'd think that some of that would rub off onto your family, but maybe it's just the the, uh, the curse of being great. I don't know. It's nuts when people look up to these people. Um, he goes and takes a sabbatical to Florence, Italy, where it seems everything really falls into place. This is when he goes from being like just a supporter of LSD and and uh, actually gets into the, uh, really gets into Harvard, and this is where all of his CIA connections really, really start becoming obvious. Um, this guy meets him there, tells him to uh, go over and meet with the Harvard Center for Personality Research head, David McClelland, who happens to also be in Florence on vacation, Uh, at the same time that Leary's there. Again, seems like a fucking setup to me. But um, this David McClellan guy being there um, ends up giving Leary the job that makes him kind of infamous in the the conspiracy CIA world here. Um, And then there's another dude that McClellan put on the Harvard psychedelics team among many other elite liberal douches here. Um, you know, all these people just have rich parents. They all have connections to military or something. Uh, there's another guy here named Richard Alpert, and he is the son of the uh, New Haven Railroad, I think their very last president or CEO or whatever, George Alpert, a big-time Zionist. I mean, this guy, when you look at his credentials and the things that he's done, it is wild. I mean, it, there's a, uh, just so much stuff, and it's mostly to benefit... Israel and, uh, like the cause that, that Israel is always behind, which kind of unclear sometimes. I mean, it seems like it'd be a, a very simple answer. Like what is, what is Israel's goal? It's kind of hard to describe. It, it seems kind of like world domination sometimes, uh, not saying that it's the Jews. I mean, I, I always have to say that there is uh there's an evil group of people posing as something that they're not in this situation. And Zionists seem to be, um, I never want to say universally, but all in all, they seem to be pretty nefarious with what they are pushing there. Um, So because of Richard Alpert's father, George, he's able to build a ton of connections at a young age. He actually gets his pilot license at a very young age. And guess where he'd fly with that pilot license and that little Cessna that he's got? Just like in the blow, right? He'd fly to fucking Mexico, and he would actually really fly Leary back from Mexico. Why would Leary fly to Mexico commercially, we'd assume commercially, and then have to fly back with Alpert, right? I'll give you a hint. It's drug smuggling, okay? Uh, Interesting stuff, though, for sure. Um, Now, we flash forward a little bit to the summer of 1960, where Timothy Leary spends his days in Mexico, okay? Okay along with um, this whole Harvard psych group uh, taking the same mushrooms from the same shaman as Gordon Wasson. And Leary says about uh, his first experience with shrooms here, in four hours uh, by the swimming pool in Cornovaca, I learned more about the mind, the brain, and its structures than I did in the preceding 15 years as a diligent psychologist. Cuernavaca. I was trying to save that. That's the name of the town where I'm assuming the shaman was. I don't think that they would go to a, a certain city and then take the shrooms outside of it. Maybe they did, but Cuernavaca is mentioned. That's an interesting name, Cuernavaca, uh, especially if you're talking about like a, a some sort of strange. I'll use the word, even though some people don't like it. Demonic influence. If there is a demonic nefarious reason behind the pushing of this stuff, and you're picking up the initial drugs from a place called cuernavaca, the drugs that start it all, right? That that bring this stuff mainstream to Time magazine and all that. Cuerna vaca translates to near the woods in English. But if you break the two words apart, cuerna and vaca, you get something completely different. And I think this is a more literal meaning here. Cuerna means horn. And vaca means cow. Get the horned cow or the fucking bull here. okay? They're getting these tools for the deep state by the fucking horned cow or the bull. And then they're bringing it back and they're making it mainstream. Isn't that interesting too? I mean, again, we're playing with words here. But this is what we do. I mean, this is this is the whole point of fucking conspiracies. If it annoys you, get the fuck out of here. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to make connections here. And I don't think this is nuts. I think that this is definitely something um, to pay attention to here. The names are intentional, just like why psychedelos is what it is, right? Psychedelic, manifesting of the mind through the bull. I mean, it's fucking wild to me. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um they they the area is actually also known as mother culture of uh Mesoamericans. So a lot of ritualistic stuff coming from this. I think that the location is interesting. Um this is where they chose to get their tools from was the bull, the horned cow. So I think like that's cool. All right, well, that does it for the free portion. You know what to do if you want the full version. Go to patreon.com/slash dangerous world podcast. You also don't get any ads over there. It's a win-win for everybody. In the rest of the episode here, I'm going to talk about a foundation that is no longer in existence, but played a key role in all of the stuff we're talking about with psychedelics and the CIA. And uh, then I finish everything off reading a little bit about the hippie movement and how that began as far as um, at least one individual thinks. So check it out. Thank you for the support. I'll see you in the next episode, guys. Take care.